Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. Alessandro Maniscalco and I love the films that have come out thus far in the Warner Brothers Justice League universe, and we're using this podcast to share our scene-by-scene analysis of those movies. Right now, we are making our way through Batman v Superman, trying to finish it out in time for Suicide Squad on August 5th. Last episode, we covered the Batmobile chase scene and Superman's first meeting with Batman. In this episode, we're going to move quickly through three short scenes. Batman's arrival back at the Batcave, the kryptonite being delivered to Lex Luthor, and Senator Finch's invitation to Superman to appear at the Senate hearing. So, after Superman flies away in scene 35, we cut to a damaged Batmobile ripping its way back toward the Batcave near the bay between Gotham and Metropolis. They came up with a pretty creative new way for the Batmobile to have a hidden entrance to the cave. A doorway opens up under the waterline in the bay, and the water drains away, allowing the Batmobile to launch through the doorway and onto the track that leads under the bay into the Batcave. I have to admit that in my first viewing, I didn't like the shot of the Batmobile here. I thought the CGI was too apparent, especially after everything that looked very practical and realistic in the chase scene itself. But then, I heard lots of people afterwards specifically talking about how cool that Batmobile entrance was to the Batcave. So I'll just call that a difference of opinion. And I do admit that the concept of the lake entrance to the Batcave is brilliant. And in fact, in the Art of the Film book, they show that there was also a planned scene where the Batmobile jumps out of that lake tunnel, not just the scene here where it returns back in. Next, the Batmobile pulls up into the cave itself. And remember that this entire set was built for real, which makes up for the CGI hiccup during the entrance. Batman jumps out of the Batmobile and pulls off his cowl as he's heading up to his computer console. We've already seen Batman's cowl removed by Superman, and now he's removing it himself. This emphasizes that Batman really is just a guy wearing a costume. Note that we've never seen, in Man of Steel or BVS, Superman putting on or taking off his suit. And this makes sense because Kal-El really is Superman. It's not just a costume he puts on. So even though he technically does have to put it on and take it off, the filmmakers were wise not to show it to us, because that would not fit with the theme of Superman being idolized and feared as something larger than life. He's not seen by the world as someone who puts his pants on one leg at a time. Bruce, on the other hand, is the one grappling with his relative powerlessness and his feelings of failure as Batman, so showing him as the man in a suit emphasizes that human frailty. It's especially potent because we just saw how powerful Superman was when he knocked around the Batmobile. Bruce gets up to his computers where he can check the tracker that he placed on the truck carrying the kryptonite. We get a nice transition here where the beeping goes from the computer to the tracker to the truck beeping as it backs up. We mentioned before that it's a bit silly for a stealth tracker to have a beep, but that's a very minor issue and was probably included for the benefit of the audience. Overall, scene 36 is a quick scene where we see the payoff of Batman shooting the tracker onto the truck, and fans of the comic books probably enjoyed the classic visual of Batman with his cowl off in the Batcave. Moving on to scene 37, the truck is backing up to unload the kryptonite in Lex's research park. This shot really struck me funny during my first viewing of the movie, just because of how wrecked the truck is as it's trying to proceed with its normal delivery operation. I honestly think there was quite a healthy dose of humor in this movie, though the humor was there amidst very serious drama and character development. It just still surprises me that people try to put forward the no jokes complaint about the movie. 
Anyway, this scene is the culmination of Lex's efforts to smuggle in the kryptonite because he was not able to get the import license from Senator Finch. We didn't really fully explain the smuggling angle in the episode for scene 34, but Man of Steel Answers has that covered very well. In short, Lex's first preference would be to have the legitimate backing of the government, but once it was clear that wasn't happening, his backup plan was to smuggle it in. This connects with what Jesse Eisenberg said about Lex always having multiple contingency plans. And it also deals with the theme that Pulp Clatura mentioned about tensions between public vengeance and private vengeance. Lex is there in the research park to receive the kryptonite, and he waves the forklift back toward him, just like he waved Zod's body back toward him in scene 13. He's pulling the strings like always, and everything that he wants is coming to him through all of his arrangements. Alessandro has recently been doing some nice analysis of Lex Luthor on his blog, reviewbvsreview.blogspot.com. And so here, Alessandro is going to share some of his thoughts on Lex and the kryptonite, which are slightly different from some of my own thoughts on this matter, but a complex movie like BVS can sustain multiple interpretations. So in this scene, we see Lex successfully having smuggled in the kryptonite. People have asked why Lex doesn't just smuggle the kryptonite into the country to begin with, instead of asking for an import license, since that is how he does it anyway. In previous episodes, Sam has echoed Man of Steel Answer's sentiments that Lex's initial plan was to work with the government, and his plan B was to have Batman take out Superman. This is where I differ in opinion. While I do believe Lex hoped to sway the government to his way of thinking, I don't believe his goal was to work with them. Normally, when transporting radioactive material, a Department of Nuclear Defense form must be submitted to the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and their scientists have to approve or deny the material according to the regulations set forth by the government. The reason Lex needed the Senate's approval for an import license on kryptonite is because, being of alien origin, it is not covered by the Code of Federal Regulations for shipping radioactive materials, because it has no classification or defined hazards to humans, since an in-depth study and report hasn't been made on the xenomineral. And it doesn't fall into any existing guidelines since it isn't found on the periodic table. The Senate would need to approve the transportation of said substance, or Coast Guard and Customs Border Patrol would detain or more likely deny the cargo. The businessman that he is, Lex is trying to appeal to the Senate's homeland security efforts to justify the legal importation of the kryptonite. He's not asking permission to create the silver bullet deterrent, or necessarily for the government's backing of such a plan, although the act of approving the license would certainly validate those efforts. He's just hoping this excuse will encourage them to approve the license while making him appear to care about security and safety. Senator Barrows takes it upon himself to get Lex access to Zod and the scout ship because he agrees with Lex's idea of needing to keep Superman in check, and wants to help him how he can. He tells Lex there are ways we can help each other. That statement is outside of the context of the previous discussion about the import license, which is one reason I appreciate coming later in sequencing in the theatrical cut. Since Senator Finch blocks the import license, Lex is forced to smuggle the kryptonite into the country, which he has successfully done as we see in this scene. But the legitimacy of its entrance into the country does not have any bearing on the reason he wants to bring it into the country in the first place, 
which is to eliminate the sin of Superman's existence, something he can't do before demonizing him and showing the world the fraud he is. That is why I believe Lex was always planning to use Batman to demonize and kill Superman by forcing Superman to kill man or be killed by man. The fact that Bruce had clues about the white Portuguese before Lex even asks for the import license indicates that Lex was leading him to the kryptonite before shipping plans had even been made, meaning even if the import license had been granted, Batman still would have stolen the kryptonite. The files Bruce decrypts from Lex's home indicate a legitimate vessel and voyage number. Had the ship not been registered, the Coast Guard would have stopped it in international waters. Given this information, it is impossible for Lex to have known the exact vessel the kryptonite would be shipped on. Bookings can only be done once ship sailings and schedules are determined, which would appear in the Journal of Commerce no more than 30 days in advance. The only way Lex could have known the kryptonite would be on the white Portuguese is if he went out of his way to schedule the shipment to coincide with when that vessel happened to be calling the port that it would be shipped from, over in the Indian Ocean. And the only reason Batman would know about the white Portuguese is if Lex leaked the information for him to find for the purpose of him getting his hands on it to kill Superman with. At the point where Bruce clones Anatoly's phone, the booking of the kryptonite shipment aboard the white Portuguese must have already been made, because there are two mentions of it on Anatoly's phone with a signal leading Bruce straight to Lex's house, where he ends up finding the booking information that we know Lex intended for him to find. And the cloning of Anatoly's phone occurs before Senator Finch even blocks Lex's import license. This tells us that Lex was planning on bringing the kryptonite in with or without the import license, and always planned on having it aboard the white Portuguese, meaning Batman was always intended to get his hands on it. It makes sense logically, too. In the African incident, Lex puts Superman in a position where he's forced to take sides by acting in the interest of Lois over the U.S. government or the African rebels. Lex uses the same exact tactic when he forces Superman to take sides in order to act in the interest of his mother over Batman. Both these instances reflect Lex's belief that God cannot be all good and all powerful because he will always have to take sides and choose who lives and who dies, and ultimately, he will act in his own interests. This tells me that it was his plan all along. So instead, I believe in the simpler explanation about why Lex seeks the import license, and that is that, well, there is more risk involved with smuggling the kryptonite than bringing it in legally. With an import license, Lex would not need to fear government intervention in the shipment via Homeland Security and Customs Border Patrol, nor would he need to squander resources by employing his mercenaries and paying off the terminal operators, and he's less likely to be pinned for criminal activity. Now, scene 37 is just about wrapped up, but there's a great shot uh, a few moments later that really connects to scene 37 here, and that's when Lex approaches the kryptonite and puts his hand on the glass, similar to how he had his hands on the glass case back in scene 10, when he was talking to the senators about the kryptonite. But for scene 37, the main function of this scene is as a setup for when we later see the Batarang, um, with Batman having stolen the kryptonite. This scene also helps the audience explicitly keep track of the kryptonite, which is Chekhov's biggest gun in this movie. 
And at this point, we are wondering how Lex is going to use the kryptonite, and we have a budding physical threat against Superman to go with the emotional turmoil that's already been established. Moving on to scene 38, we get another aspect of Lex's plan that is coming together, and that we know is somehow threatening to Superman, but we don't know exactly how it's going to play out yet. And that other thing is Lex's use of Wallace Keefe to draw Superman to Capitol Hill. An astute viewer may wonder if the placement of these two scenes together, uh, the kryptonite arriving at Lex, uh, for Lex and Wallace Keefe being used to have Senator Finch do this in, in an invitation, maybe the placement of these two scenes is an indication that Lex is planning to lure Superman to the Capitol so that he can use the newly acquired kryptonite on him. This would make some sense because of Lex's traditional motivation of just killing Superman. But as we'll find out later, Lex's motivation in BVS is much more nuanced than just a desire to kill him. His master plan has many more components than just a simple intention to kill. One thing I really enjoy about Lex in this movie is that almost every time he gets someone else to carry out his desires. In scene 38 here, it's Senator Finch. She is inviting Superman to come to the Senate hearing to address the government and the public about his role in the world. She asks, how do we determine what's good? In a democracy, good is a conversation, not a unilateral decision. Here, Finch is staking out a position on the big questions of good and evil in this movie. We talked way back at the beginning about how this movie is exploring modern society, where notions of absolute good and evil are largely rejected. In some ways, abandoning absolutes might be seen as an unfortunate situation of moral decay. But moving beyond absolutes can also be a sign of societal maturity, because life is complex and full of gray areas. Senator Finch represents this positive, mature side of things because she casts good as a conversation and part of a democratic process that weighs multiple perspectives, rather than taking absolute unilateral actions. This also ties into the theme that was mentioned in the art of the film book, that BVS is a movie about people struggling to, but eventually learning to, take another's perspective. We can also think about Senator Finch's doctrine of conversations over unilateral decisions in light of prior ideas in the movie. Right away, Senator Finch seems to be condemning Superman's intervention in Africa, because Superman affected the Civil War and the U.S.'s net neutral position because of his unilateral decision to save Lois. But Senator Finch's doctrine also indicts Bruce, whose 1% doctrine and commitment to taking out Superman is Bruce's unilateral decision. The only one Bruce has conferred with on that decision is Alfred, and Bruce doesn't actually listen to Alfred's advice or anyone else's. He's going to do what he wants to do and take out Superman without any consent from others. Also, here in scene 38, we have another piece of Superman's mantra coming into place. Superman, ever since the old radio show, has been associated with the ideas of truth, justice, and the American way. We've already seen Superman grappling with the issue of justice as he sees what Batman is doing, and justice was literally written on the bottom of one of the Polaroid photos. Here, we have Senator Finch challenging Superman to show up based on democratic principles, which is rooted in the American way. And later, at the actual Senate hearing, we'll round out the trifecta with truth. The rest of Finch's line is that she invites Superman to the Hill of the People. 
and it's worth noting that it's an invitation and not an official summons, so it really is up to Superman to decide whether he's going to show up or not. Finch goes on, saying that Superman should face those who've suffered. The world needs to know what happened in that desert, and to know what he stands for. How far will he take his power? Interestingly, the wording of this invitation, although it sounds threatening to Superman, actually also contains a glimmer of hope. Because if Finch wants to find out what actually happened in the desert, well, what actually happened is that Superman was framed, and he simply saved Lois's life. The rest was out of his control. There are also some nice parallels between Finch's invitation here and Lex's monologue later at the helipad. Finch says that good is a conversation. Lex rebels against God as all good. Finch asks what Superman stands for, and Lex forces Superman to kneel. Finch asks how far Superman will take his power, and Lex tries to force Superman into a situation where he has to take his power beyond moral limits. Also, Batman witnessed a vision of Superman having taken his power too far. It's also kind of interesting to think about Senator Finch's words, but apply them to Lex instead of to Superman. The world needs to know what happened in that desert. We need to know actually that Lex was behind it, not what Superman did. And we need to know what Lex stands for. How far will Lex take his power? Um, those actually are kind of more interesting questions. Are they're both interesting to think about that for Lex and for Superman. Now to finish out the scene, we see Lois reacting to Finch's comments as she is still undertaking her investigation there in Washington, D.C. to try to clear Superman's name. Lois knows that perhaps this hearing is also a chance for Superman to clear his name, but it could turn very ugly with protests and with anything that Superman says being misconstrued or interpreted in a biased manner. The scene ends with a shot of Lex admiring the kryptonite as Finch's words echo away. Musically, Lex's theme chimes in, indicating that this is part of Lex's plan to lure Superman in. Alessandro has also noted that this scene is important because it shows Lex alone with the kryptonite. Practically speaking, this is a clear and present opportunity for Lex to chip off some kryptonite for himself before Batman steals it. It's also a sign of Lex being closer to getting what he wants. He has reached the Emerald City. Seeing Lex after hearing Finch say that good is a conversation also makes us think back to Finch and Lex's conversations about the kryptonite. The conversations led to Finch clearly expressing that bringing in the kryptonite as a weapon against Superman was not a justified course of action. And so Lex, not heeding the result of that conversation, clearly positions Lex on the bad side of things. So that's our quick run-through of scenes 36, 37, and 38. Remember that we're trying to pick up the pace because of Suicide Squad just around the corner. In the next episode, we are going to cover three more scenes, starting off with Superman going to visit Martha as he considers this invitation from Senator Finch. Also, this is a good place to think back to Man of Steel, which set up the political climate of BVS and Lex's motivations. In Man of Steel, General Swanwick's final words to Superman were, How do we know you won't one day act against America's interests? Superman replied, I'm here to help, but it has to be on my own terms. He then left it up to Swanwick to convince Washington that he's here to help. In the time between movies, Superman has certainly been viewed as a hero, indicating Swanwick had some sway and was successful in getting that message out. But in the African incident, Superman does not act in America's interest. 
which goes back to Swanwick's question and Lex's attempt to prove this very point, that Superman must choose sides and he will sometimes act in his own interests. Anyway, thanks for listening, and be sure to check out Man of Steel Answers and the Suicide Squadcast.